Well, hello, all you beautiful chicks and dudes of all sorts. This is Suave Rob Suarez, the bitchin' double-X daredevil star of Suave Rob's amazing ass-saving association, here with another ass-saving tip, totally free from me to you, to help you save your ass so you can live to sit another day. Now, back in the day when dudes were dudes, this one dude, Benchmark Bob, buddy of mine, he had this little accident. He tried frying up an egg when he was totally hammered. So he washed a pan, then didn't dry it, then put a shitload of butter in it, then turned on the heat. Well, when you do that, chicks and dudes, the water makes the oil go splatso all over your own personal face. And good old Benchmark got his bench marked, if you know what I mean. Like, when he took his apron away from his face, it looked less like a face and more like someone had stepped on a pepperoni pizza. I don't like to think about it. But that goes to show you, you know? Always dry your pans before you put oil in them, man. Especially if you're frying an egg. Want to know where I learned all this gonzo shit? I got it all done up pretty for you in Suave Rob's Double X Daring Do, the first book of Suave Rob's Awesome Adventures by J. Daniel Sawyer. Come share the awesomeness with me, my brothers, because you never know. The ass you save may be your own. Welcome to The Everyday Novelist. My name is J. Daniel Sawyer, author of nearly 30 books, more than 30 short stories, and numerous articles and scripts and essays, coming to you from up in the crow's nest with my spyglass on this daily voyage through the dicey waters of business, craft, learning, and art in the writing life. Welcome to The Questions, episode 959. Today we hear from Tim, who asks... A while ago, I read an interview about quest formulas with Michael Moorcock. It occurs to me that he codified many of the tropes he used from mythology into the fantasy genre. Mm -hmm. What's your viewpoint on tropes and conventions in commercial fiction? Um, I think they're fine. I love tropes. I'll go a step further. I don't think commercial fiction exists without tropes. Because of uh, sites like TV tropes mm -hmm. and whatnot, we, we have... Um, I've got an entry in TV tropes. You know that? Oh, cool. Uh, we as a generation of readers and writers and moviegoers have learned to mock tropes. And I think that's that's kind of a sucky thing to do because mm -hmm. what a trope is, is is a story formula or a, or a story element that just works really well and has worked really, really well for maybe thousands of years. Mm -hmm. Tropes are a compressed symbolic language. Yes. And... They just like uh, compress them. Okay, so like the confrontation with the gods. Oh boy, that's a huge one, right? That goes all the way back to the Epic of Gilgamesh, and it's evergreen. There's always something there because the nature of human existence is of being a tragically and annoyingly limited creature that can imagine what it must be like to be an unlimited creature and to feel in conflict with the vastness of the universe or with the gods that oversee it. Mm -hmm. And the experience of trying to wrestle meaning out of life involves, in one way or another, a confrontation with metaphorical gods, sometimes with gods that you believe are literal. Um, and so that trope is going to be with us forever, even 
thousands of years after everyone's an atheist, which I don't think will ever happen because I think humans are a fundamentally religious species, even though I myself am not religious. Um, but um, if, if we overthrow all the gods, we'll just start worshiping our shoes. Yeah, we'll we'll invent new ones. Uh, we we've done it before in the forms of ideologies. Mm-hmm. Ideologies are just a way to have religion without having a god that has a name. So tropes are tropes are what makes commercial fiction and commercial fiction. You don't have the possibility of commercial fiction without the symbolic language compression that is provided by tropes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it. It's useful for another reason. Mm. It's useful for communicating quickly to your audience what they can expect from this story. Yes, and managing their expectations and subverting them, too. Yeah. Without tropes, you would not be able to communicate easily with your audience that this is what you should expect from this story. This is the part of the story you should care about. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. In magic, right? And, and and the thing is, tropes and tropes aversion can go layers deep. So, like, if you ever watch—I love stage magic. It's taught me so much about storytelling. If you watch uh, Penn and Teller's Fool Us, mm-hmm. you've got these uh, younger magicians who are trying to fool these masters. And so they know all the tropes that usually fool the public. And so they'll do those tropes— and then they'll do another – the ones that win will do those tropes. Then they'll do another set of tropes that are designed to throw off the masters who know where to look when they see certain tropes. And then they'll invent new tropes of their own mm-hmm. in order to – and that's the place they really hide the secret. Yeah. And you can – the thing – one of the things that tropes let you do, they provide a toolkit to allow you to do this multi-le- multiple levels of expectation setting and then jump between them in a way that your audience considers fair play. Mm-hmm. That's really, really useful. And then on the occasion – if you're someone that does that a lot, on the occasion when you don't subvert it – Or if you're doing it, if you're doing a non-subversive setup in an environment where subversion subversion is de rigueur, you suddenly shine out like a light in the darkness because all that sophistication that your audience is bringing to the story is available to you as a writer to go deep on something, to go deep on one thing and make it shine out. Uh, mm-hmm. This is one of the reasons Lord of the Rings did so well being published when it was, because it was published in the, an era of uh, Hemingway and other incredibly uh, Hemingway and Joyce and other, whether you're talking high fiction, highbrow fiction or lowbrow fiction, that was all incredibly sophisticated and you had very sophisticated readers. And Lord of the Rings comes along and it's the straight ahead mythological story that wears its heart on its sleeve and yet has incredible depth and treats the reader's sophistication with respect. Mm. And so all that sophistication is available in it to be traded for goodwill and for engagement because the reader doesn't have to try to keep one step ahead in order to feel like they're being treated well. Right. So... Uh, tropes are really great, great things and very useful. And uh, the more that you have at your fingertips, the more powerful your writerly toolkit. Yes. And understand your, your tropes mm-hmm. under, more than just on the surface layer. The yeah. deeper you understand the tropes and where they come from, the and more... And why they survive. 
and why they survive, the more avenues for storytelling you have available mm-hmm. to you. And by the way, if there is a trope that you hate and you and, and you think that it has survived because it is, in your view, somehow immoral, you probably don't understand why it's there. Oh, that, that is actually a really interesting challenge for a writer, oh, though. Yeah. Write using tropes you hate. Yeah. And bring them bring meaning to them. Yeah. For the for Dan, this would be writing a, a time travel story. Oh God, yeah, and I've done it too a couple of times, and and I I did find a way to bring meaning to them, but <laughs> uh, yeah, boy, was that hard. Oh, oh, time, don't get me on. You've got a kitty rants on time travel coming up. You've got to record it because I can't record that rant again i'll go blue in the face (laughs) yes i I have a rant about time travel which is my absolute favorite trope and also my least favorite trope so we'll leave you on that tantalizing note and we and i think we're gonna next we're going to record a question about time travel fiction so uh and if i cue them right it may actually come as the next episode so uh stay tuned Thank you very much, Tim, and we'll see you tomorrow. The Everyday Novelist is written by J. Daniel Sawyer and presented by J. Daniel Sawyer and Kitty McKeon and is produced by Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. The text is copyright 2021 J. Daniel Sawyer and the production is copyright 2021 Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License and all other rights are reserved to their respective owners.